Welcome to Going Back, 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 the sports history podcast with all the stories you need to know and some you don't. My name is Brian Gay, and with me here is my co-host, Tom Young. Each week, Brian and I will be choosing a story from this week in sports history. This week will be two different stories from January 31st to February 7th. We'll also be covering some of the current hot topics in sports, all while drinking a few cold local beers and seeing where the night takes us. All right, Brian, I got another fact for us for, uh, to get the show started off tonight. Hit me with it. Michael Phelps, he has won more Olympic gold medals than 161 entire nations. If he were a nation, Michael Phelps would rank 35th on the all-time Olympic gold medals list. So he also holds the most gold medals for one event with eight, and he set that record in the 2008 Summer Olympics in Beijing. Which event? Was he like a butterfly? Yeah, he was a swimmer. Butterfly. I mean, he was a, bu- a swimmer. <laughs> Obviously, butterfly, yeah. I believe, was his strong suit. I think so. Freestyle and a lot of the relays he did too. So more medals than how many countries? 161 All gold right. medals. So I need to put that in perspective. You can check me on this fact, but I believe there are 197 countries. And I think that puts that even into even more perspective when you think about that out of the total number of countries in the world. Yeah, we're up to 195. 195. Okay, I knew it was in the 190s, and there's been some additions over the past few years with South Sudan. little throwback to Manute Bowl last week. Shout out, Manute. And they, uh, there's some other ones in there. Um, but yeah, so 161. There's only 195 countries on the planet. Uh, Impressive, right? Nuts. Just nuts. And I just, I mean, I think, you. I mean, we grew up witnessing his just dominance and his ability to do what he did, and, and it's unbelievable. Just unbelievable. Yeah, going back to, well, I believe he did swim at Sydney. There was an Olympics in Greece he was at, the Beijing ones, and then I forget the 2012 ones. I think that was his last last year. 2012 Olympics. That would have been. Was that London? I want to say Rio. 2012 was London. London. I believe Rio, Rio was, was 16. 2016. All right, all right. I knew I was missing something. In I there. think that was his last Olympics was the 2012 ones. I mean that's just such a such a feat. So you said he started in Sid- his first Olympics was Sydney. I believe so. Two thousand. Two thousand. Oh my! To be on top of the game, on, on top of your game, it's something just as demanding as like swimming is a very demanding sport. My cousin was a, a college swimmer, um, and I just know the toll that that takes on you, and it's a whole whole body. I mean it's 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 a grind. It's a it's a real grind. Yeah, you're using muscles that you didn't know you had. Especially if you don't swim (laughs) often, you get into a pool like that. Yeah. Good luck. I'm not even sure what my swimming skills in general are like these days. I can tell you now, I would not be competing at any level. I'm just glad I don't float to the bottom. Yeah, I I don't really go in water that I can't stand up in. Yeah, once you get past like the waist, it gets a little, eh, I think I'm going to head back a little (laughs) bit. Yeah, I guess that just comes with age because I used to be a daredevil and now... I understand the power that water can have. So yeah, you don't think about it when you're a kid, just body surfing and yeah, going through this wave, that wave, up oh, and yeah. over, under, Reckless. whatever you want to do. Reckless. Yeah, it was great though. I mean, I I loved going to the beach. I love going to the beach still, but back then the beach was more about getting in the water, hitting the waves. Where now the beach is kicked back with a cold one and an, um, an umbrella. Chair. Yeah, put my feet in the sand. Read a book or something. Although I hate sand, so like, I don't know. It I is just, annoying. It is just a nuisance. I mean. I'd rather I'd prefer a lake over the over like an actual beach any day. Give me uh, some grass that just goes right out to the lake. Fortunate part of growing up near the Finger Lakes was a lot a lot of lake access and Lake Ontario, I guess. But the, even that has like a slight beach. Um, it's not one that you really want to go hang out at, but it is a beach. 
If you ever can, I don't know if you've been out there, but Lake Tahoe, absolutely I, beautiful. I have not. Was out there last year. Uh, went out there after the wedding. Danielle and I, we spent about a week. The scenery is just amazing out there. Got to actually go out on the lake a couple times, did kayaking, went on a boat. Um, absolutely loved it. Yeah, I mean, that sounds – I've heard nothing but great things. It's one of those – it's just one of those names that everybody knows, that everyone's heard of. Um, I haven't been that far out west too many times in my life. I've been to L.A. once. was just in Vegas last month. Um, but besides that, I mean, the furthest west I've been otherwise is Milwaukee. Actually, Kansas City might be uh, might be the new one, but – Either way, I mean, you get out that way, you get into into the mountains, and uh, you get some really cool stuff out that way. Yeah, like sitting on with mountains as a backdrop, you can't beat it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a great combination. So, uh, very cool. You know, Michael Phelps, like we all knew how dominant he was watching him at the time, but I don't think anyone, not anyone, but I don't think people knew that stat that you provided. So that's really cool. Yeah, it just shows his longevity, too. It wasn't like he was like a one-hit wonder and then faded out from the Olympics never to be seen again. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I love – I think that's what I love about the Olympics is, like, there's – you get kind of both stories. You get the dominant Olympians, but then you get the person who wins a gold medal or wins a medal in general or just shows up and performs from a country that nobody expected to see at whatever Olympics they're, perform, they're in – um uh, there's a really cool story about high jumpers it was like in the high jump at the olympics um i want to say this was pretty recently it might have been rio sometime in the past six four to six years um it was a high jumper from italy and a high jumper from qatar and they were both like going for neck and neck up to like seven foot eight seven foot ten or something and they both failed at seven ten and barely clear a minute bowl yeah <laughs> yeah right and they, uh, so they asked the Olympic organizer came out to them and said, Hey, this is, these are what's going on. And the Qatari high jumper says, Hey, can we both get golds for this? And he looks at the Italian guy, the Italian guy looking, looking interested. And the Olympic official was like, yeah, you, you know, you in theory you can. So they both said, all right, let's do that then. And it was just like the excitement on both, on both their faces and, to know they're bringing that gold medal back to their country. Here at the U.S., we take it for granted. Right, we have so many decorated athletes. Yeah, but we also have, yeah, we send so many people over there. We better be bringing home more medals than anybody, <laughs> honestly. And that's the reason why we usually lead the medal count at the end of the game. Yes, because just the sheer number of athletes, and I may actually touch on that here in a little bit um, as I get into to my story. But Teaser I, alert. Yeah, right. And I, So, Tom, I know we got to talk about uh, playoffs, so let's talk about them Eagles. Like you know, I'm not the biggest Eagles fan in the world. Uh, go Bills! But I, I, the teams that are le- that were left and what's going on now, I mean, it's Eagles all the way. And uh, man, I'm not sure that Kansas City is going to have what it takes. But you can't discount Pat Mahomes. No, tough to discount him and Andy Reid. Very good combination over there in Kansas City. Um, but touching back on the last week's game here with the Niners, quite the unfortunate situation with them not more or less not having a quarterback for half the game. Um, half the freaking half the freaking year brock purdy's been hyped up but like that team has been winning games you give them a actually good good quarterback there's a true juggernaut in the nfc i think 
I think that just speaks to Kyle Shanahan as an offensive mind, though. He doesn't need a quarterback. He just needs someone to run the system because of how good the it sets everyone else up weapons, in the dude. offense. Just weapons all over that offense. That might be the most – they might have the most playmakers on any offense in the NFL. Yeah, up there with the Eagles, I would say. Um, yeah. Like we've touched on before, Debo, Kittle, you added McCaffrey halfway through the year, Ayuk. Elijah Mitchell, very good offensive line. Matches up well with what the Eagles got with A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, Dallas Goddard, Miles Sanders. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely, yeah, definitely even. The Eagles do have a ton of weapons on both sides of the ball. Um, I was definitely a doubter throughout a lot of the year just because the NFC, to be honest, kind of seems like a cupcake of a conference lately. There's a few really good, like a couple pretty good teams at the top. Yeah, most top-heavy compared to the AFC. Yeah, the AFC just seems like there's more spread throughout, and it cannibalizes each other. And a lot of the young, when, well, I mean, there was a an infographic going around that all of the quarterbacks that were quarterbacking teams in the AFC side of the playoffs were first round picks within the top like fifteen. On the NFC side, there wasn't a single no uh, first round pick quarterbacking a team. Yeah, hurts second round pick. Yeah, Purdy seventh round pick. Yeah, yeah. Kirk Cousins, Cousins was, was third, third or fourth. fourth. Yeah, third or fourth. Daniel Jones, he was a first round pick. Jones, okay, Daniel Jones was a first. Yeah, that's correct. So um, I might have been wrong. So there's one first rounder. Who else? I don't even remember. I mean, Geno Smith was he a first round pick? No, he was like third round, I believe. If Geno Smith was a first round pick, I'll jump out of this window. But I really don't think that was the case. He was the 39th overall pick in the All 2013 right, so se- so second draft. round. Second yeah, out of West Virginia. Yeah, I remember him coming in and like, I mean, being in, coming into the AFC East. He looked really good in college. I figured, yeah, drafted by the Jets. Yeah, I know. And that's where it was one of those things where it was like, oh, boy, here we go. They found their quarterback. Uh, 2013, the Bills probably had EJ Manuel. I was going to say, was that the same year they took EJ Manuel? It's very possible. They took him 16th overall, 19th overall. Was yeah, it? 2013, same draft. Uh, just another example. I could literally do a whole podcast on just the missteps by Bills management over my lifetime, not even counting the you know, 30, 40 years before I was around. Yeah, and you were right, 16th pick. Boom. Boom. I know random stuff. Ask me what I ate for breakfast. I couldn't tell you. Ask me where you picked EJ Manuel in 2013. I got you. Cal Ripken's career games played, Mark. Got that too. It's, you know, that's just like. So where did EJ Manuel go to college then? See oh, if you got Flor- that one. Florida State Seminole. You got it. Ding, oh, ding, yeah. ding. Oh, yeah, dude. I got that on lock. Um, so yeah, I, I'm not not hating on the Eagles. It just seems like the NFC as a whole was kind of weak. Like you said, you mentioned it on our first episode. The Vikings were kind of like one of those. It was like they're like an imposter, honestly, for sure. Um, I, I just and they haven't had any faith in anyone else in the NFC except for the Eagles. They're the only they're the only team that truly looks really really good in the NFC. Yeah, they have a really deep roster. Yeah. Shout out to Howie Roseman. He's put together a really good roster. Which is crazy because you you Eagles fans were calling for his head like three years ago. He, he won you guys a suit. He, he built a team that won you guys a Super Bowl. Granted, Nick Foles was the quarterback and that was not his plan uh, no, initially. But within like 12 to 18 months, the whole city of Philadelphia was like. Fire Howie. Yeah. They were calling for his head about how he's the worst GM ever. Blah, blah, blah. And then now all of a sudden, he's the greatest thing to ever happen to sports. The greatest thing to ever happen to Philadelphia. Granted, I mean, he's done a really good job the past few years. Yeah, I think the biggest signing this offseason was Hassan Reddick. 
I didn't think he was going to be. I didn't think I did not expect sixteen sacks out of him. No, he's up to nineteen and a half through the playoffs, <laughs> which is nuts. Played nineteen games, he has nineteen and a half sacks. And I think part of that also I credit to another guy that Eagles fans seem to want to see out of here, and that's Jonathan Gannon. Because whether or not you love the defense he's run, he's figured out how to make the most out of that defensive line because that is a terrifying front four. He was definitely shaky last year. Um, and I think what, what helped was they had bad quarterback play on the other teams towards the end of the year. So I think he was able to figure it out a little bit more. Yeah. It's definitely tough being a first-time defensive coordinator, if so I'm not mistaken. Was he, he first time last last year? I believe okay. so. I think he was like a D-backs coach before. That makes sense. And that's kind of a similar situation the Bills ran into with Ken Dorsey being the offensive coordinator this year. was a first-time coordinator. But honestly, he called plays like I do in Madden. Like, hey, everybody run 40 yards downfield. Our quarterback's going to sling it. And uh, double, tack, double tap the X button and throw it up to Stefan Diggs, Gabe oh, yeah. Davis, one of you guys way down <laughs> the sidelines. Yeah, our deep threats. Um, Manual control the player and jump up and over the defender. Yeah, right. I want. You know, I would like to see um, Dorsey get another year. I wouldn't mind seeing Dorsey get another year, but Leslie Frazier can go. Speaking of off, um, coordinators that cannot get the most out of their players, we got one in Buffalo. They crumble under the worst times, but we're not talking about Buffalo here. Um, on the AFC side, Bengals Chiefs again. Chiefs got the best of them. Um, First time the Chiefs beat Cincinnati at home. A lot of talk going in was Burrowhead instead of Arrowhead. I think the Bengals got a little full of themselves there. I well, I definitely think they did because they were talking a big game um, with Buffalo too, and then even bigger game after they beat the Bills, and they just got cocky really quick. I honestly very quickly went from liking the Bengals and hoping the best for them to dancing a jig when they lost against the the chiefs because they just turned into such jerks very quickly very funny, quick funny how that changes so quickly it, yeah it's just and i understand there are I've, I've seen a lot of hate for my guys out there um on like the nfl pages and stuff which is honestly i don't pay attention first of all i don't care what most people have to say as i sit here doing a podcast where a lot of people probably feel the same um but i don't care what a lot of other fans have to say on both sides, whether they're Bills fans or not, there's a lot of hate talking about the Bills are so hyped up and blah, blah, blah. That's not really their fault. The Bills are pretty humble of an organization. Meanwhile, you got Joe Shiesty, Joe Cool, and his Bungles. I can't call them that anymore because they're actually really good. Yeah, the Bengals. <laughs> yeah. Um, but Give yeah. some respect. It is what it is. So Chiefs, Chiefs, Eagles, Andy Reid coming back. Uh, the Kelsey brothers playing against each other in the Super Bowl is really cool. I love both the Kelsey brothers. Um, I think they're both awesome guys. Jason and Travis, I'd love to crack a beer with both of them. Maybe we can get them on the show <laughs> show, hey. show one day. Wishful thinking. Yeah, right. Um, Jason always does some some kind of event down the Jersey Shore and State Olive Summer. I guess bartends. Yeah, guess bartends. Um, I would get out of that. They do their own podcast now. Yeah. So I think... Jason definitely has a career after. Oh yeah, as some sort of broadcaster, radio, whatever they'll, he wants to do. They'll both they'll both be on they'll both be on some kind of network. I think I could see Jason being more of a play by play, and Travis being more of like a pregame show, postgame show. Turning like what Gronk's been doing the past couple of years. <laughs> no, I think out of retirement. Yeah, well, yeah, I could see that, but I also think Travis is much more of a. He's a good talking head, where Gronk is just a. He remind, fun remind, personality. Reminds me of Kronk from uh, Emperor's New Groove, just that big meathead lug. And the name helps, obviously, Gronk, Kronk. Yeah, flows. Yeah, it goes it goes nicely. So, All right, Tom, I think it's about time to jump into our stories today. So real quick, we'll take a minute, get a word from our sponsors, and we will be right back. 
This episode of Going Back, Back, Back is brought to you by Rucci Heating and Cooling, LLC, located in Glen Mills, Pennsylvania. For all of your heating, air conditioning, and plumbing needs, call the professionals today at 484-849-1015. Rucci Heating and Cooling, LLC, the one-stop call for your business and or home. Call them again at 484-849-1015. All right, and we're back. Tom, what do you, what do you got for us today? I feel like it's kind of fitting the story I chose. Um, so the Eagles, they actually won their first Super Bowl, Super Bowl 52 on February 4th, 2018. Eagles, Sorry, I had to throw that in there. Hey, all good. Play it more if you want. <laughs> but I mean, given that they advanced to the Super Bowl, is only fitting for me to choose this story. Pretty iconic, iconic day in Philly sports history. So and easy, easy choice. Living down here, I definitely was not even close to a remote Eagles fan at that point. It was so freaking exciting. The idea was exhilarating being down here. There was just that month span of the playoffs, and each week they got closer and closer to the the final goal. And let me tell you, it was electric. Everywhere you went, walk into a Wawa, and you just thought like the Eagles chant. You the Eagles chant would break out. That's what people would just say to you. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I was at breakfast uh, real quick before you get your story. I went. My wife and I went out to brunch with her parents the other day out in uh, closer to Lancaster. And we're sitting there eating eating breakfast, and there's a lot a lot of people in there. All of a sudden, this random woman stands up, and she's like, "Hey guys, let's do the Eagles chant, E A G L E S Eagles." Is that what she sounded like? Yeah, 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 one hundred percent. Yeah, That's so good. spot on. I'm an impression uh, impression master. Uh, um, but let me tell you, man, it was so uncomfortable. That was the first time I think I've ever heard someone try to start that, where people were not interested yeah they just weren't having it not it's interested like, i'm hungover let me enjoy my breakfast let me have my mimosa if i want one but believe it or not get out of here as you move out that way even though lancaster county is just the next county over for us it very quickly turns into steelers and ravens fans yeah for sure you get closer to baltimore and closer yeah. to pittsburgh yeah but you would th- i would have thought i mean i'm sure there's plenty of eagles fans out there but dude i've never heard an eagles chant fall so flat in my life did anyone join her a few but it was probably just really awkward either way. Oh, it was. Yeah, yeah. So awkward. Just out of the blue. I feel I feel like that secondhand embarrassment for her. If I was with her, I would have been probably had to excuse myself to the bathroom and then she's finding her own way home. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was just so uncomfortable. But hey, listen, the passion is there, I guess. I'll give her credit for that. Yeah, it really is. I, mean, I think that's the, I don't want to say majority, but that's Eagles fan base as a whole. Passionate. Yeah. That's what we feel. Philly sports fans. We can use that word. We can use that word. You guys have taken that no one likes us, we don't care mantra a little too far. I'm not saying you particularly, obviously, but uh, yeah, you Philly fans are a different breed. I used to say Bills and Phillies, Bills and Eagles fans were similar. I don't really fully believe that anymore. But <laughs> but all right, Tom, talk, talk talk to us. Talk to us about the Super Bowl. Sure. So I think before we get into the game between the Eagles and Patriots, I think it's just important to give a little backstory as how the, the Eagles got there that year. Oh, yeah. So Chip Kelly, he was actually the head coach and eventual GM of the Eagles. Um, he was actually fired by the team in 2015 at the end of that season. Rightfully so. So Howie Roseman, he's actually then reinstated as GM of the team. So if you remember before, Howie was actually the previous GM, and he was actually uh, then replaced by Chip for a brief time there. So at the time, Sam Bradford was quarterback of the Eagles and was quarterback headed into that following season as well. So before the 2016 draft, Howie goes out, swings a couple deals, kind of as we know him now. Howie's always, it's Howie season, 
always making those big deals, swinging deals left and right. Nobody wants to make deals with them, but they still do. <laughs> Not my worry, but hey, keeps helping us out. Yeah, very true. So he ends up moving up to the second overall pick and takes Carson Wentz. Now, due to an injury to Teddy Bridgewater in the preseason for the Minnesota Vikings, they turn out to be desperate for a quarterback, and they send a first-round pick to the Eagles for Sam Bradford. Now, this leads uh, Carson Wentz to becoming the starter for that year. Now, another move that had happened prior to the season was the hiring of Doug Peterson. He wasn't the ideal choice at the time, and many questioned this selection by Howie Roseman. So the duo of Wentz and Peterson uh, were brought together, and they found early success, winning their first three games, winning their first three out of four games, excuse me, and then four of their first six. Lost two in there in between, but after that, the wheels fell off a bit, and they finished out at seven and nine for the season. Now, with that getting into too much of that season, Carson had an okay rookie year, played all 16 games, threw for almost 3,800 yards, 16 touchdowns, but also threw 14 picks. So not the not the best year. Something to build on as a rookie, though. I think kind of what you expect, though, when you draft an FCS quarterback. Yeah, out of North Dakota State. Yeah, I mean, you, it, growing pains. And I, I think ideally you have Bradford start the season, and then Wentz comes in, you know, halfway through after he gets some more grooming, oh, working yeah. in practice each week. But Yeah, of course, but things don't always work out the way you hope. When someone throws a first-round pick at you for Sam Bradford, it's hard to turn that down. Yeah, that was worth it. So fast forward, we're going into the 2017 season now. The Eagles actually, they signed the following players on offense, LeGarrette Blunt, Alshon Jeffrey, Torrey Smith, and most notably Nick Foles. On the defensive side of things, they bring in Chris Long and Patrick Robinson. So Howie wasn't done there as he then went and acquired several key players for the season before training camp starts. Uh, So he brings in cornerback Ronald Darby, defensive tackle Timmy Jernigan, and then during the season to bolster the roster even more, he trades for Jay Ajayi from the Dolphins, sends a draft pick their way, and from there on out, the roster's set and the team starts rolling. So Carson, he's starting to develop right before the league's eyes, and he's a front runner for MVP that year. He's leading the team to an incredible 10-2 and start, and the offense was flourishing under him in his second season. Before their Week 14 matchup against the LA Rams, Carson at this point had thrown 29 touchdowns compared to only six interceptions, while the team was averaging 32 points per game. Pretty solid. Yeah, they had a high of uh, about 51, I think it was, against the Denver Broncos that year. Wow. Yeah, that's that's pretty substantial. Sorry, I, I was half paying attention because I wanted to confirm this. You mentioned they picked up Ronald Darby. You mm-hmm. know where he came from, right? The Colts. No, sir. The I Buffalo the Bills. Bills. You're right. Sorry. Yes, sir. He was a second-round pick. Looked pretty good for us. We brought in a new uh, – new that. Brought in McDermott and Bean. They didn't fit the system. He got the boot with Sammy Watkins. We also brought in Jordan. We brought back Jordan Matthews, I believe, in that trade. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking Patrick Robinson was a player with the Colts the year before and signed with the Eagles. Mixed those two up. Two D-backs, my bad. I might actually dispute that, but go ahead. Patrick Robinson, well, he's also with the Saints. That's who I, I so, Okay, that's what I was thinking was the Saints. I swore I saw earlier when I was looking that up that he was with the Colts. Hey, I'll take your word for it for the time being. You got the computer. Yeah, you can you can double check me, but <laughs> I swore I saw Colts somewhere. Maybe it's a different player, and I'm confusing guys. That's all me. No, 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 you're good. I just I my thought was directly the uh, um the Saints. So let's see. Oh, he played at a few places. So Saints. Yeah, he, was a, he was a travel. Okay, travel yeah. Guy. So he, he so four years with the Saints, then he bounced to the Chargers for a year, the Colts for a year, and then literally came to the Eagles for one year, and then back to the Saints. So okay. I guess that makes sense why 
Yeah, all that's in up. my brain. It kind of associated him strictly with New Orleans. Yeah, he's been there for a while. Makes sense. Sorry, so go ahead. During that game with the Rams, uh, Carson Wentz ends up tearing his ACL in the game. Uh, he sustained this injury while making a dive for the end zone and scoring a touchdown, but unfortunately that play was called back due to holding on the offensive line. He Ooh. knew his knee wasn't right, but he actually ended up staying in the game and throwing a touchdown four plays later. After that touchdown, he uh, actually was subbed out, and Nick Foles came in, led the Eagles to a 43-35 to victory over the Rams that day. BDN. Yeah, good old BDN coming in to save the day. Love me some Nick Foles. So at this point, there's only three regular season games left, and the Eagles had to adapt quickly to their new man at quarterback. Thankfully, the play from Carson had led them on the verge of the one seed in the NFC, and by virtue of winning two of their next three games, it locked up the one seed and home field advantage throughout the playoffs. Well, because he was, I mean, before he got hurt, the year before he was, was he NFL MVP the year before that? Wentz? Yeah. No, that was, was his rookie year, and that's it when It was he, his rookie year. Yeah. Okay. So year two, he comes in, he's playing really well. Yeah, yeah. Looks electric out there. Yeah. Can scramble with the best yep. of them. And then he blows out that knee again uh, but he was still, he okay, so he But he was still playing at, basically at, a, at, a, at an MVP level at the time. Yeah, he was he was the um, odds-on front runner before yeah, he got hurt. We see that how that's turned out for him, huh? Yeah, it hasn't been great, unfortunately for <laughs> Wentz. You know, he's. It would be interesting to see where his career would have went if he didn't have that knee injury, and I think he hasn't been the same player since. No, not at all. And I, there's, I think, a number of reasons that could factor into that, but we can have a whole Carson Wentz deep dive one day if we really want to. We'll avoid Carson. I don't think we need to get into a deep dive. No, Plenty of other stories out there. I fully agree. So now the narrative uh, was more or less created by the media that the Eagles teams, they were going to be underdogs heading into the playoffs and their first round matchup with the Atlanta Falcons. So they somehow squeak out a game in that first round divisional series at home against the Falcons, beat them 15 to 10. That was a pretty ugly game and didn't leave Eagles fans with much hope moving forward. It's like, hey, we won. Maybe we'll win the next week. See what happens. It's funny that the Falcons were relevant because it's been a few years since that was the case. Yeah, I mean, if Julio Jones makes that catch there, End of the game. Oh, who knows yeah. what happens? Oh yeah, I one of the most sure-handed that. receivers ever, and he couldn't yeah. catch the ball and get both feet in bounds. And it's still solid, Matt Ryan too. I mean, they they were solid for a few years. Now after that game, Lane Johnson and Jason Kelsey they actually break uh, out the dog mask and wore them around the field, poking fun at the story. You know that they were underdogs. Oh, so that's where that started. Okay, correct. All right, all right. So yeah, they they got the whole underdog thing going. Every, no one likes us. We don't care. I think that all stems from the same same storyline. Uh, no. So well, yes, it does. Yes, it does. I was saying no one likes us. We don't care was from the celebration afterwards. But we can get to that. Yeah, we'll get there. Now the NFC Championship game. Uh, this was a great matchup against the Minnesota Vikings, who had just won on a miracle play the week before. So if you remember, that's when Stefan Diggs made that miraculous catch, turned into a touchdown. Against the Saints, yep. Yeah, with little time left, and then time expires as he's, like, running down the field. Yep, yep. The Minneapolis miracle. So the Eagles, they go on to route the Vikings, actually, 38-7. to Again, those dog masks are brought out, and their story of their continued underdog role lives on for, you know, one more game as they make it to the Super Bowl, first time oh, yeah. since so far. Now ahead, it's a mat- matchup with the New England pra- Patriots. Ooh. Tom Brady... Bill Belichick, so right, rightfully so, the Patriots are favored headed into that game, making the Birds an underdog one last time on this improbable run. So the Eagles, they had not only lost the front runner for MVP and Carson Wentz, they were also playing without their all-pro and future Hall of Fame tackle, Jason Peters, also former Bill. Yeah, not surprising though. That man was... He was a tight end there, right? He was brought in as an undrafted tight end. Yeah, and then they 
converted him over to tackle and then we sent him to you guys for like a fifth round pick or something and the rest is history he's gonna be in the hall of fame and the bills haven't had a very truly serviceable left tackle i mean Deion dawkins is solid but jason peters for 15 years would have been pretty cool yeah easy to just pencil him at pencil him in every game and not worry about it yeah but also screw that dude he went he came out of retirement for the cowboys yeah, I don't know what he's thinking there. That taint, seemed like that, he was pretty good friends with, you know, uh, Jeffrey Lurie, Eagles owner. Dude, that just turns his back and goes to the Cowboys like that. Tainted him for me forever. I, I just do not like the Cowboys. I don't know who does. If you're a Cowboys fan, you can just click next. I'm just kidding. America's team. You can still like and subscribe. Um, <laughs> but they also lose Jordan Hicks. He's a starting linebacker, running back, and key punt returner Darren Sproles. And then also an important special teamer in Chris Marigo. So it's not that they just lost Carson Wentz. They were down quite a few players in important positions. Of course. So even with the loss of those players, I mean, you could definitely tell that the Eagles bleed in themselves, even though no one outside the team did. So Nick Foles leads the team to the Super Bowl that night, goes on, probably has the greatest game of his life. He throws for 373 yards, three touchdowns, and most famously caught a touchdown from the play of the Philly special. Dude, I remember watching this. I was supposed to be down in Philly uh, at Jose's, actually. up in, in Shout North. out, Jose. Shout out, Jose. Hopefully he, he's on the show in the near future. Um, I was supposed to be down there, but we had a malfunction with the windshield wipers, and it was pouring here in the Philly area. So we had to turn around and come home. Yeah, safety first, I guess, right? Yeah, man, but I could have been on Broad Street with the rest of Philadelphia. But, hey, that yeah, the Philly special, and then the fact that they – the Patriots had tried a very similar play earlier in the game. And Brady dropped it. Oh, dude. Anything that Tom Brady does wrong is just like really makes my heart smile. Did he trip over his own feet too? Yeah. More he like, like bounced off his hands and then he fell like, forward. Basically. Yeah. Basically tripped over the line or something. I don't know. The dude still looks, seems uncoordinated as all, all get out. Even though he's had the career, he's had the career he has. Pretty amazing. Yeah. I don't want to talk about him. We don't have to. It's fine. Besides him losing. That's coming up. So the Eagles, they receive contributions from virtually everyone in this game. Their leading pass catcher is actually a running back in Corey Clement. He had 100 yards on four catches. Nelson Aguilar, who struggled with drops throughout his career, was shorthanded that day. Catches nine balls for 84 yards. I was going to say, the Eagles receiving core that year was not that impressive. Yeah, I mean, you have a number one in Alshon Jeffrey. But even he... He's not a true number one. I think he'd be an outstanding number two if you can get someone better in front of him. Yep. But he's, he had three catches that day, seven to three yards and a touchdown. Helps when you then have Zach Ertz at tight end. He kind of makes up for that yeah, lack time. of a true number one. Big time. He I was mean, your number one receiver. Yeah, I mean, he made big play after big play that, that game. He actually had a touchdown himself. And then the running back committee that they had with LeGarrette Blunt, Jay Giant, Corey Clement. Awesome. They totaled up 155 yards between the three of them. I mean, it's just you got bruisers. Like LeGarrette Blunt was just a freak. Former Patriot, too. Yeah, he bounced around a bit. He reminds me, I mean, he was a lot like Brandon Jacobs. Just that massively large body that... Tough to tackle. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was... Derrick Henry, basically. Yeah, Derrick Henry Light. I was going to say Derrick Henry-esque. <laughs> Derrick Henry Light is a good way to put that. Yeah, like the bush light of Derrick Henry's. Speaking of beer, <laughs> shout out to Trogues tonight. They're perpetual IPA. This ain't no bush light. I Not mean, Trogues, it's one of my favorite beers that they make, the perpetual think we got 7.5% ABV here. Um, I don't know. What are your thoughts on it, Brian? I mean, it's been a pretty regular go-to for our household for the past few years. Uh, probably came up on it about six years ago. It's one of the staples in Trogues, Trogues lineup. 
Um, it's definitely going to hit you with a very hoppy, uh, very hoppy taste, very hoppy notes. If you're not on into that kind of thing, then I would 110% avoid this beer. But if you love a good hoppiness, a good IPA, perpetual IPA from Trogues. Again, check them out if you're ever in Hershey, PA. They have a great location, good food, plenty of beer to try, plenty of cool merch. I'm a, I'm a big fan. And, and Hershey, Hershey Park is right down the street. Yeah, great time. I mean, like I said, Trogues Perpetual IPA, one of my favorites. Um, brings us back to the Eagles here. I mean, you couldn't ask for a better better night from the team. Now, the defense, they were getting carved up. Uh, Tom Brady ends up throwing 505 yards in the game, which is the most ever in a Super Bowl. And he adds wow. three touchdowns to the box score as well. I mean, it was a shootout. I mean, it was an absolute slobber knocker back and forth gun show. I mean, absolute shootout. Yeah, I mean, you're talking heavyweight fight. That's a heavyweight fight right there, just trading blow after blow. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Especially when there's, in theory, truly one, only one heavyweight in that fight. Like, the Eagles were, I think everyone kind of almost expected that. Everyone outside of Philadelphia expected the Eagles to get run out of the building. And they almost did, but, I mean, if you look at the Patriots box score, they had three guys total over 100 yards receiving, which is impressive in and of itself. Oh, yeah. Danny Amendola leads the way, 152 yards. Chris Hogan, noted lacrosse player in college, uh, he totals 128 yards. And then Rob Gronkowski has 116 yards total and two touchdowns. Somehow the Patriots end up being the palest lineup in the NFL year after year after year after year after year. They make do with three slot receivers playing <laughs> their three positions. I mean, at least they did in the Tom Brady era, but unbelievable. Yeah, I don't know how they do it. And that's a credit to Bill Belichick, but we don't need Honestly, to give him too much credit. It's though. a credit to Tom Brady and his ability to get rid of the ball quickly because it's not like he was it's not like he was hitting Danny Amendola thirty yards down the field. Yeah, I don't think Brady's ever had the biggest arm, you know, no. strongest one, but he he fits it in those tight windows, accurate, those quick routes, very quick, accurate, quick and accurate, and it works. I mean, he's and got an, he's got an arm. Don't get me wrong. That year he had Rand, the that little period he had Randy Moss. I mean, he drops some deep dives. Yeah, just close your eyes and throw it up there. Randy will go catch it. That's fair. Yeah, you're throwing to one of the. Arguably, it's not a conversation we have, but like I would put him easily top five receivers of all time. Yeah, I think he's number two behind Jerry, if not number three. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Are you talking statistically or your personal your personal choice? Just personal choice. That's fair. I don't that's know the fair. statistics off my head to say he's number two. That's fair. All right, yeah, yeah. I think he is. He might actually be number two in receiving touchdowns all time. He's up there quite a ways. It's not. You're not far off in your in your assessment. Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll look that up real quick. That's all right. Yeah. So Jerry Rice has 197, mm-hmm. and Randy Moss will be second with 156. Sheesh. To is number three at 153. To Terrell Owens. I mean, it's it's cool to say that we were fortunate enough to be in an era that I remember watching all three of those guys play. Sure, we did, I didn't don't I don't recall prime Jerry Rice. Yeah, watching him on the uh, what Oakland Raiders, <laughs> Oakland Raiders at uh, Seattle Seahawks, I believe. I forgot point. he played for the Seahawks. That's good. Yeah, I mean Randy bounced around a bit. I mean, we got him on the what the Raiders and the Patriots, and then obviously the Vikings. Um, yes, definitely the Vikings. That's where he started his career. Let's see, at Minnesota, Oakland, New England. Uh, those were his three teams. It uh, looks like he retired in here in 2009. I thought that there was more teams, but that might just be the fact that I tried to go out and get him in every Madden franchise I ever had because... Yeah, it looks like... I'm sorry. He came back in 2010. Looks like he played with three different teams that year. Minnesota, New England, and Tennessee. 
That's what I'm reading here. Oh, I do remember that briefly signing with Tennessee. I mean, he didn't do anything for any of them. If, you, if you're on three teams in one year in the NFL, odds are you're doing nothing. Yeah, it looks like a brief stint in 2012 with the San Francisco 49ers. Interesting. Yeah, I did not remember that one. Just the can't can't let it go type. All right, uh, so back to the Super Bowl. I apologize for getting you way off track there. Hey, it's all good. We're here to talk sports. Sure are. So in the end, um, this historic performance from the Patriots offense was not enough. Um, I know the Eagles got lit up all game on their defense by Brady and that Patriots team, but the key play was actually made by Brandon Graham late in the fourth quarter. He oh, stri- yeah. Strip sacks Tom Brady. I remember. the. I believe it was uh, Derek Barnett recovers the fumble, and then they... Basically, they don't get a first down or anything. They kick the Jake Elliott field goal. That puts them up eight. So the Patriots get one last shot at the game to tie it up. Um, I remember watching this play. Um, they get a first down or two mm-hmm. with little time remaining. They're maybe around like the 50-yard line. Brady heaves one up to the end zone. The ball gets batted down, and I'm just thinking to myself, like, here comes a flag. Right. The Patriots are all of a sudden going to have the ball in the one-yard line. Of course, because that's, that's, that's what it always felt like with them for years and years and years. So what was probably only like three or four seconds of like probably an eternity waiting. It felt like minutes, eternities, whatever you want to say. Oh yeah. Next thing you know, it's like, I remember watching at a local bar. It's just like dead silence waiting for the referee signal incomplete pass game over. And then the place just like erupted into pure joy, elation, happiness, bro. I was, I was singing just as loud as anyone else. As soon as that game was over, I threw this on and I was singing just as loud as everyone else. And we'll throw it back because we're going to be playing this again in a lot in the next couple of weeks around here. Score a touchdown. One, two, three. I know every word. I hate to admit it. As a diehard Bills fan, I know every word of this. You should have been up on that stage Sunday instead of Jalen Hurts. Absolutely. Or AJ Brown. They both looked a little confused with the words there. How dare they? E-A-G-L-E-S, Eagles. Again, phenomenal. Phenomenal fight song. I wish the Bills had something way cooler like that. But, yeah, dude, that night, I was, I mean, the fireworks going off around here, you would have thought we were in Fallujah. It was just, like, absolute chaos. And just the sheer excitement of it all was unbelievable. I remember being at that bar. Um Obviously, a bunch of random people there. I was there with some friends. Were you Barnaby's Havertown? Uh, no, some uh, <laughs> forget the name of the place. Somewhere in Drexel Hill, I'm blanking on it. Um, so I just I went up to some dude like bigger than me, just like randomly picked him up, like hugged him, like <laughs> just out of like pure joy. Like I'm not even the biggest Eagles fan, you know. Phillies are my team. Yeah, yeah. Football, you know, Eagles hurt me a lot growing up, so I'm a little jaded by that. Yeah, I get that. But you know, the Phillies are my team through and through. But just seeing, you know. The Eagles actually come through and win the Super Bowl after all those years of three straight NFC Championship games, losing, finally coming over the top, and then to lose to the Patriots in 04 like that, it was heartbreaking as a kid. So now, full circle, you beat the Patriots after losing to them in 04. And the fact that you were it was great. 14 years or 13 years later, you were able to exact revenge on Brady, too, because that would have been Brady. Right, he was quarterback then, yeah. too. And that's uh, oh, so satisfying. So satisfying, like... It was, yeah, like I said, living around here and, and being here at the time, I was still pretty new to the area. I mean, this was, what was this, 2017? The 2018. 2018. Well, 2017 season, but happened All in right. 2018. Yeah, so I moved, I had only moved here August of 2016. So I had been here maybe a year and a half at this point. Yeah, you're not fully equipped to the Philly, Oh, God, Philly no, I wasn't at all. And, but I, let me tell you, man, I felt just as much of a part of it as all you, all you Philly fans. And it was just such an incredible experience. But 
I was invited to the Super Bowl parade and I refuse. I will not be going to a Super Bowl parade until it's through the streets of Buffalo. As much as I might be excited about the Eagles winning another Super Bowl this year, I just can't get myself to do it. My I, the only time I want to experience that that is the streets of Buffalo, where Josh Allen is a dozen Bud Lights deep, and slinging them probably to to the fans and stuff. And hopefully he gives some sort of a similar speech as Jason Kelsey did. I can only imagine what his speech will be because that man has bought into and loves Buffalo. I, I digress. I'll talk Bills all day every day. Tom, you got anything else to add about the Eagles Super Bowl? Uh, no, I mean I kind of just touched on it. That parade was insane. The, oh yeah, the, you were at the parade, right? I did head down I to the parade. So. Um, actually went down into Philly the night after they won the Super Bowl. That was crazy on itself. Went down to near, got up close to City Hall. Just being out there with all the fans, it was it was an amazing night, an amazing time. Um, never forget it. Something you remember forever. I'm sure. Did you, did you climb any of the greased uh, greased light poles? Can't say I um, <laughs> thought that was a good idea. <laughs> Even after a night of drinking, just passed on that yeah, just I'd, walk the streets you know high fives hugs things yeah, like that no you don't strike me as the climb up the, the telephone poles kind of guy so nah, no that's not me did you see the the video of eagles fans standing on top of one of the septa bus stations i did and they fell through yeah i, I mean the thing is though that's what you get yeah i hate expect? to say that's what you get i mean that's not built for any kind of weight on top and there was probably 15 people at least on it i mean that's that's a lot of weight it is i know speaking of weight um we're going to go over to the to your story here. Uh, what do you got for us? Yes, tonight, sir. Brian? So to tie in with that little fun fact you had earlier, I'm going to talk about um, not as exciting as the uh, Eagles' first Super Bowl because this was 90, uh, 98. Uh, actually, it's 99 years ago. 99 years ago. I'm going to take us back to 1924 in Chamonix, France, for the first official Winter Olympics. All right. I like that. So I've always been a big fan of the Olympics. I just think it's such a cool event. I love the opening ceremony. I've always been fascinated by other countries and cultures. And I think that the Olympics is a really cool way to bring everyone together where you can leave all the nonsense of the world behind. I understand that more more recent years, Russia hasn't been allowed in, but Russia kind of sucks. So like they did that to themselves. Um, but I just, I always think it's really cool because there's always a chance that somebody that you don't expect could do something that you don't expect. The stories that come out of it, things like that. So I, the one thing this here is a really cool story itself because it's the first time that happened. So to take us back, the 1924 Olymp- 1924 Winter Olympics, officially known as the One Olympic Winter Games and commonly known as Chamonix 1924, Chamonix, C-H-A-M-O-N-I-X, Chamonix 1924, were a winter multi-sport event which was held, obviously, in 1924 in Chamonix, France. Uh, it was originally held in association with the 1924 Summer Olympics. For a very long time, the Summer and Winter Olympics were actually hosted within the same year. Okay. I know that we are familiar with the Olympics, uh, Summer and Winter being split. It's every, every two, two years. years. That actually didn't start until 1992. I think I would like them both in the same year almost. I think it would be cool, but at the same time, I think it just gives you, it kind of gives you, you get more of it. More sure. of it with the split. Um, but... I always I figured that was always the way it was that they split it up, but it turns out the year before you and I were born is the year that they decided to finally split them up. So um, it was originally held in association with the 1924 Summer Olympics. Uh, the sports competitions were held at the foot of Mont Blanc in Chamonix. Mont Blanc is the tallest mountain in Western Europe, um, and Haute Savoy, France, between January 25th and February 5th of 1924. There is a chance I'm pretty good with French. I took that for seven years from middle middle school and high school, but there's some. Uh, Scandinavian names that come up in here that I will apologize to probably the very, 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 very small 
portion of our viewers, our listeners that are, are Scandinavian in that extent. I may butcher those. We know they're out there, but apologies in advance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm doing my best, I promise. Um, so this was between January 25th and February 5th of 1924. The games were organized by the French Olympic Committee and were originally reckoned as International Winter Sports Week. Um, because it was highly successful, it was retroactively designated, actually, by the IOC, the International Olympic Committee, as the first Winter Olympic Games. Um, so, like I said, the tradition of holding the Winter Olympics in the same year as the Summer Olympics continued all the way until 1992. So, for another 68 years after this. Um, and then now it's the way we know it now. Every, every two years, you get one or the other. So, there's... Back... Looking back on it then, um, there was 16 participating countries at the time. I'm going to list them quick because it gives you kind of an idea of who is who. We got Austria, Belgium, Canada, Czechoslovakia, Finland, France, Great Britain, Hungary, Italy, Latvia, Norway, Poland, Sweden, Switzerland, the U.S., and Yugoslavia. So the fun thing about that is you got two countries on there that don't technically exist anymore. And Czechoslovakia, at least in that format, uh, it's Czechia now. And Yugoslavia, which has been broken up into a handful of countries as well. So at the time, uh, like I said, 16 participating nations. There was 260 total athletes. Um, France had the most with 43. as they Actually, Great Britain had the most at 44. France had the second most at 43 as they were the host of the games. And how many countries did you say were back then? 16 total countries. So in 2022, 84 I actually, countries. I was actually going to get into that. So actually, 2022, um, the... There was 260 total athletes in 1924. The U.S. Uh, U.S. And as of 2022 had 224 Olympians at the Winter Olympics. Wow. There was 2,000 in the 2022 Winter Olympics. There was 2,781 total Olympians, and I pulled the number of 91 different countries that participated in the Winter Olympics. That's crazy. So it has expanded substantially it over the years. Shows how much it's grown. And I think it's really cool because the Winter Olympics. Summer Olympics, I think, are very accessible and open to any and everyone because sure. we all have summer. We all have winter, too, but winter is very different in different places, and winters, a lot of winter sports tend to be cost prohibitive. Like, we talked about hockey a couple weeks ago. Skiing is not cheap. No, not anymore. I'm not even sure how you get into bobsledding. Things like that. Might have so, to try it out sometime. I mean, it looks so fun, uh, but I'm not sure how you would even get involved in that. I don't know either. <laughs> so... So it's just something to look into. It just sounds like there's got to be money, money involved somehow. All right. So just some, some fun facts about as they got through the Olympics. So on day two of the Olympics, the first gold medal was awarded and it was won by Charles Jutra, J E W T R A W of the United States. Uh, he won the 500 meter speed skate, making him the official first winter Olympic champion. Do you know how much a gold medal weighs? I do not. Somewhere between 500 to 800 grams. That means nothing to me. Yeah, that was a bad transition by me earlier, <laughs> talking about weight and jumping into the Olympics, but that's where I was going with that. Do you know what... Uh, so, grams to pounds. So, about 17... Call it 18 ounces to about 28 ounces. So, about a pound... All right, that helps. That ounce, helps. Maybe. That helps. I can do grams to ounces. We won't talk too far about that. Uh, <laughs> but... Ayo. Ayo. Yeah, I know, right? Um, all right, so on day four of the Olympics, Sonia Henny of Norway, uh, she was an 11-year-old girl took part in the ladies figure skating competition 11 years old 11 years old she became a very popular fan favorite but she finished last but sony was not discouraged at all because she went on to win gold in the next three winter olympics 
Good for her. So, yes, absolutely. So, at 11, she came in last. Um, at this time, it looks like I believe the Olympics were every four years. So, she would have come back at 15, won the gold at 15, 19, and 23. So, that's three gold medals by the age of 23 is pretty phenomenal. And a last place finish, which I think is almost even, like, just kind of really cool as well. It's not like she came in second and was supposed to win at 11. She probably shouldn't have even been there. Yeah, can you imagine participating in the Olympics at 11 years old? Yeah, I mean, so, yeah, nowadays, absolutely not. Nowadays, absolutely not. This definitely seems like it was probably a, not nearly as big of an event. Because, I mean, I'm, obviously, broadcasting and stuff is different. I mean... I'll say TV wasn't around even then. a thing at the time, yeah. Social so, media is not a thing. So, no like, pressure there. most people probably had no idea this was even going on. Um, but you find out about it, what, like, a day or two later, a week later, something read, like that? Read something. The newspaper? Yeah, blurb in the paper. Um... So yeah, now, but nowadays though, yeah, I can't even imagine, especially when the pool is the pool of uh, entrance is that deep, and there's just so much going on. You're on you TV. In any country, I feel like you, there's a lot of pressure for any Olympian because the, your country's behind you watching you. And USA in the US, we expect if you don't win a gold, there seems to be just this like, don't bring home anything else. Yeah. <laughs> almost disappointment right yeah I which i which obviously is, is not how, exactly how it is but it definitely when you look at the sports media and stuff talking about the olympics that's definitely how it comes off is like if you didn't win a gold you failed which is obviously not the case you made it to the olympics you are so you made it to the olympics at least out of the u.s you're more elite of an athlete in your sport than 99 percent of people some other countries you can get in because they have no one else doing the event um but I digress. It's I would just be awesome. happy to be there. I mean, I get, you know, there's yeah. all that pressure just to say you were an Olympic athlete. Yeah. That just comes with a pedigree of in and of itself. Yeah, it's phenomenal. Um, so one interesting thing, as I mentioned, that the Summer and Winter Olympics used to be in the same year. So on um, in the Summer Olympics, they actually hosted hockey and, speed sk- and skating, um, specifically speed skating. In the Summer Olympics? Yes. So they, or figure skating actually was in the Summer Olympics as well with hockey um, through this period. So on day six, figure skater Gillis Grafström of Sweden became the first athlete to successfully defend his Summer Olympic title at the Winter Olympics. He won a gold medal in the Summer Olympics in 1924 figure skating. Um, on day eight, the Canadian ice hockey team, I mean, everyone is very well aware that hockey in Canada just go hand in hand. Um, there it's, it's a match made in heaven. The Canadian ice hockey team, which was known as the Toronto Granites finished their qualifying round with three wins. No, no surprise. Big shock there. But the three teams they beat were Czechoslovakia, Sweden, and Switzerland. Nowadays, those are three very solid hockey countries for sure. Especially Um, the Czechs. They beat Sweden. They beat the Czechs 30 to nothing. They beat Sweden 22 to nothing. And they beat the Swiss 33 to nothing. So they're almost averaging like 10 goals a period. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So uh, they scored they just under 10 goals a period because they ended with 85 goals through the qualifying round and didn't concede a single goal. Wayne uh, Gretzky was on that team, right? Oh, yeah. 1924. <laughs> yeah. I'm yeah. Yeah. The, the, uh, the predecessor to Wayne Gretzky that's apparently had to have been there. That's how he was boosting those numbers back in the day. Oh, yeah. Just <laughs> just scoring on the Czechs, the, sweet, the Swiss, and the Swedish, which is crazy to look at because, I mean, obviously a lot changes. But those are even the Swiss. The, so the Swedish and the Czechs have been pretty solid hockey nations for quite a while now. Yeah, they develop a lot of good players. A lot of good, and, and uh, disproportionately amount of really good players. When you look at the NHL or the pro leagues in general, like when you look, when you compare the population of a uh, Czechoslovakia or Sweden to the U.S., 
obviously is our main metric because that's where we are. Um, and the amount, just the amount of professional athletes they produce in those sports is phenomenal in my opinion. Um, moving on to day 10, the Canadians actually found themselves in the same situation as Gillis Grofstrom from before. Uh, the Canadian ice hockey team was actually the last team or person to successfully defend a summer Olympic title at the winter Olympics. Uh, Canada would dominate ice hockey in early Olympic competition, winning six of the first seven gold medals awarded. Not surprised at all. No, no shocker there. Yeah. Right. Um, so at the closing ceremony, um, because this wasn't a huge event, there was 16 events total. Um, and they were spread out between, um, there was a Bob, one bobsled event. There was one curling event, one ice hockey. Uh, I mean, they're tournaments obviously for these right. things. Um, there was, and then there was eight skating events, three figure skating and five speed skating. And the rest was all in Nordic skiing. Now, I'm kind of familiar with what the term Nordic skiing. So I can't say I know much about Nordic skiing. All right. So Alpine skiing is when you think of skiing, you probably think of Alpine skiing. It's the downhill boots, going through the boots fully locked in and, and it could be slalom. It can just be riding. So like if you and I were to go skiing, we're going to go Alpine skiing. Makes sense. So Nordic skiing encompasses a number of types of skiing, in which the toe of the ski boot is fixed to the binding, but the heel is loose. When you're going downhill skiing or alpine skiing, your whole foot is affixed to the ski. So um, there's a number of recreational disciplines in Nordic skiing. Um, the the one that most people are familiar with is cross-country skiing. And I don't know how popular that is, but I my believe it or not, my little high school in western New York was a cross-country skiing powerhouse. You guys send athletes left and right to the Olympics? I believe there was at least one Olympic athlete, not in my time that came out, um, but they won our section and states time and time again. You go in the high school gym and they have the banners up on the wall, cross country skiing and cross country running. There's just title after title. Uh, their, their coach recently retired, Bernie Gardner. Uh, shout out Bernie. He's a track cross country legend in Western New York. And I imagine probably throughout the sport because of what he did. Um, so very familiar cross country skiing. It was very popular. I remember actually going to a state cross state final cross country race because I had friends. Uh, we knew a lot of people in it. I say it's interesting to watch. It's cool. I mean, it's just something different for sure. Different, which I think is what can draw you to the Olympics and watching it. Yeah, for sure. Because there's a lot of these events that, like I said, curl, I mean, curling was in the 1924 Olympics and it's still one of those people like people joke about watching curling now, but like, I think people like it's, it's just something that's different. It's something that's, it's unique. It's interesting. You can get really hype watching curling. I, I don't really know what's happening with it a lot of times. I know that you're trying to get closest to the middle. and Yeah, when you just see your rock or whatever it's called knock out the other one and the yeah. other one goes flying, yours is right next to the bullseye like right in the middle. It's big, let's go. Yeah, it's like big frozen shuffleboard basically. Yeah, that's a good way to describe it. <laughs> right. So so Nordic skiing was a majority of um, was a majority of the games. About half of the events. Well, not uh, let's see, one, two about a third of the events were skiing. So there's cross country. There was ski jumping, um, similar to what we know now with the, the ski jumping. I'm not sure it was as big and like crazy as it is now. Cause they jump far. Yeah. I can't imagine technology has come a long way. Yeah, and the, the ability back so. then weren't probably as, as yeah. well trained either. Nowadays they're building like the, the jumps for these things. And I think then you had to figure out the best slope to do it on. Um, so there was also Nordic combined. So it was a combination of cross country skiing and ski jumping. And then the fifth and final skiing, um, event was military patrols, what they call it. So military patrol was a team winter sport in which athletes competed in cross country skiing, 
ski mountaineering, and rifle shooting. So it was usually contested between countries or military units, and actually the biathlon was developed from the mili- from military patrol. So it encompassed, uh, there's about 25 kilometers of cross-country skiing and rifle shooting. You had to have a certain amount of climb. There were certain qualifications you had to make to meet this, uh, to do this. So um, it was really cool. The It's just really the start of, of a lot of this. Um, the After the success of this, the the International Olympic Committee decided to organize Olympic Winter Games every four years. Uh, it was not a thing before. It was just done on the same year as the regular Olympics. It was actually the first time in modern history because the French actually didn't win a single gold medal. The French actually won only three medals out of the 49 total that were awarded. At their own Olympics? Yeah, at their, at their own. Yes, at That's their own not Olympics. a great showing. Yeah, not not great at all. Talk about disappointment. So there was. it should have been 48 medals, but there's 49 because there was two bronzes given for the same event and one. I'm not actually sure what it was. I was not able to find that info. Um, but there's some interesting facts that came out of this. So France was the first time in history that the host country did not win any gold medals, and they only finished with three bronze. The same outcome actually occurred at the next Winter Olympics in St. Moritz, uh, which is in Switzerland. Switzerland only won one bronze. The lowest ever output, and that was the lowest ever output by a host nation at Olympics. There's actually been three other times that the host country has not won a single gold medal, and I'm actually surprised about one of these. So Canada did not win one at the 76 Summer Olympics. Summer doesn't, I'm not surprised. Yugoslavia at the 84 Winter Olympics in Sarajevo, which, not surprising, in small country, they're fighting an uphill battle. Sure. Though This is the one that surprises me, though, is Canada, again, in the 1988 Winter Olympics, did not win. You'd think that hockey would, you know. They right, you would think so. Pull out hockey, but they weren't. Um, well, I know with the U.S. team, they're infamous winning the 80 Olympics. It was all collegiate players. So maybe, oh, yeah, the Miracle so maybe, on Ice. So maybe Canada was in the same kind of boat where they weren't sending their pro players. I don't know off the top of my head. but Yeah, that, I'm not sure. I was, That would make sense, right? It'd be interesting to, to learn a little bit more about that and, and get into that further. Um, so let's see. And the So something very interesting about this is that the actual, the final individual medal of these Olympics was presented 50 years later in 1974. So the ski jumping event was unusual in that the bronze medalist was not determined for, for those 50 years. Norway's Thorleif Hogg was awarded third place at the event's conclusion, but a clerical error in calculating his score was discovered in 1974 by skiing historian Jacob Vaj. First of all, skiing historian, the fact that that's a profession, hey, that's pretty cool. Who actually determined that Anders Hagen, which is weird because it's Thorleif Hogg or Anders Hagen of the United States, who had officially finished fourth, actually scored .095 points more than Hogg. The International Olympic Committee actually verified this. And so in Oslo in September of 1974, the original winner's daughter, Thorleaf Hogg's daughter, actually presented the medal to the now 86-year-old um, Anders Hagen. Could you imagine winning a bronze medal, then what, 50 years later, they take it away from me and give it to someone else? Oh, he was dead, so I'm not sure he worried about it, but I think if I was his family, that would have been Either way, what the heck? I could not be happy about that. No, yeah, I totally agree. I would not have been thrilled about it. Um, So, uh, last but not least, there was a pretty cool thing that happened. Um, Norway actually swept the podium on both January 30th and February 4th, winning all three medals for both the men's 50-kilometer cross-country skiing uh, event as well as the Nordic Combined. Like cool. First of all, it's cool that they swept it, but the really cool fact is that the same three athletes won the same medals in each event. So the aforementioned Thorleaf Hogg won gold in both events. 
In silver, you had Thoralf Stromstad. And in uh, with the bronze, you had Johan Grottums Broughton. Grottums Broughton? Nailed it. I think so. I think that, you know, I thought it was pretty good. Um, so just really cool, um, really cool to see. Obviously, like I said, as a fan of the Olympics and seeing where it's grown over the past, I mean, it's almost 100. It'll be 100 years next year, the anniversary of that. So to see where it's grown and where it's developed has just been really fascinating to see where it came from. Um, yeah, looking forward to those games next year, right? Yeah, for sure. It's 2024 is, is it, I think it's Tokyo? I'm not actually sure. I feel like life is so crazy, it's hard to stay up on top of things. So 2024 will be in Paris. Paris, damn, I'm really off. They were just in Tokyo, weren't they? Maybe that's next or... Yeah, they were just or in after Tokyo that before. Or, oh, man. All right, well, I guess I'm off on my Olympia, Olympic uh, trivia. Um, but I just think overall it's very cool. Uh, one thing that I'm not sure if you noticed, but big country that was left out of that was Germany. Um, obviously, they weren't so friendly at the time. Yeah, for obvious reasons. Um, it got uh, it got worse, you know, 10 years later, but um, Germany was excluded and did help hold their own similar event. That it was, But it was just strictly Germans, from what I could tell. There was also an, Est- an Estonian um, cross-country skier that was set to compete but had to withdraw at the last minute. So there should have been 17 countries total. Um, that makes sense. But, yeah, I just think it, I thought it was a very fascinating story. Um, I was unaware of quite a few things in there, like the fact that the Olympics were on the same year up until 94. Um, yeah, I never would have never would have known that. Yeah. I just assumed that this is the way it was all uh, had always been. Um, the fact that ice skating and hockey were part of the summer Olympics. I just, it's, it's all fascinating to me, but yeah, so that is the story of the 1924 winter Olympics in Chamonix, France. Yeah. I think again, speaks to why we're doing this. We're, you know, not only educating ourselves, learning these topics and stories, but you know, educating our listeners. Oh yeah. I love it. Uh, And Tom, actually one thing I wanted to touch on Tom, if you had to guess who was the, who had the most medals in those Olympics? We're going to say Norway. You got it, actually. Yeah, spot on. Norway actually took the, took the most medals with 17. Finland had 11. And then after that, you had the U.S. and uh, Great Britain with four apiece. Austria and Switzerland and France with three apiece. Um, and then Sweden had two. Canada and Belgium with one apiece. There were actually six countries that didn't win a single medal. Better luck next time. Crazy, because the, uh, there was not a ton of entries, so, you know. But, you know, those are all countries that have since won medals in various events or don't exist anymore. So it doesn't matter. Yeah, true. But, yeah, I mean, Tom, it's been a, a it's very interesting. It's, it's cool to see the the growth and the fact that it's continue, continuing to expand. The Olympics add new events almost every every cycle or yeah, at least they take they, some out. They put some yeah. some in that have been there before or yeah, you have new events all together skateboarding in the uh the olympics now uh, i mean baseball has been in and out yeah, softball, softball yeah wrestling some sorts of wrestling have been like taken out i believe and gone back in yeah and i know like as a as a fan of like the the, the world of darts a lot of darts players are advocating for darts to be in the olympics because it is a pretty international thing at this point granted europe tends to really dominate that as a whole um but, but you know the Olympics is one thing that continues to bring people together in a world that seems to be further and further divided um, every day that goes by. So I, I love it. And I, did, I, I figured that the, the Winter Olympics went further back. So the fact that they were 99 years ago today or this this week. Yeah, coming up this week. Pretty fascinating. But, Tom, I do think that's going to bring us to the end of our show today. 
for sure went by quick when it always does i think we could talk for hours and hours um everybody out there i really do appreciate you coming out hanging out with us listening to our show um tune in next week for more interesting stories in the world of sports now remember just to follow us on social media at going back pod you can find us on facebook instagram and twitter and make sure you like and subscribe to our show as well now like the great michael scott once said you miss 100 percent of the shots you don't take just kidding that's wayne gresky all right guys thanks for coming out we'll see you next week